That's Wild Youth with We Are One, our entry into this year's Eurovision. Now, for obvious reasons, the contest couldn't be staged in the home country of last year's winner, Ukraine. Instead, it's in Liverpool, where our media columnist and Eurovision superfan, Laura Slattery, is headed. It's a pan-European celebration of music, fabulous piece of theatre, you know, really kind of wild event. It's also kind of a rare um, instance of music um, taking centre stage on primetime television. Like, we have enough sport, news, drama. This is a great showcase for music. It's also a very important platform for LGBTQ plus visibility. And it's just an amazing festival. So long may it reinvent itself. But even Laura's enthusiasm can't hide the facts. Our Eurovision glory days are far behind us. We've gone from being record-breaking Eurovision winners. Ireland are the winners of this year's Eurovision Challenge. To a country that usually fails to even make it out of the semi-finals. Go on, you good thing. Statistically, our hopes for tomorrow shouldn't be high. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, the Eurovision. At this stage, why do we bother? Laura Slattery, Eurovision superfan. Who are we sending this year? Okay, we are sending the Dublin four-piece rock band Wild Youth with their anthemic song, We Are One. But just to clarify something straight off, Bernice, I wouldn't say I'm a super fan because that would be an insult to the super fans out there who know way more about this than I do. But I have watched Eurovision all of my life and I am a fan, I would say, and I've also covered the European Broadcasting Union as a journalist. Yeah, but wait a second, not just that. You're going to Eurovision this year. That's right. I'll be in the arena in Liverpool on the uh, Saturday, that May 13th, uh, for the grand final. It'll be my second grand final. And I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a brilliant event. OK, so let's get back to who we're sending. How did we decide on them? Well, it's generally been decided in recent years um, via a competition staged on the Late Late Show. So Wild Youth saw off five other acts to be chosen as the Irish representative. So the public had a say in this. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a decent song. It's probably better than the average song that we have sent um, over the past couple of decades. It's still going to be a, a very a tough ask, I think, for it to qualify out of its semi-final and make it to the grand final. Yeah, but look, you say it's, you know, sort of it's good, but how does it compare with the greats, Hold Me Now, Why Me, all kinds of everything, or even the songs that no one can remember uh, that made it to at least to the top 10. How does it compare? Well, I have an interesting theory that it wouldn't matter even if Wild Youth were to somehow make it to the grand final, finish in the top 10 or even win the competition. I don't think their song would have the same kind of cut through that those songs of the past that you mentioned had. And that's just to do with the media audience that we have now. The the audience for music is is completely fragmented. We don't have that single cultural uh, touch point the way that we used to. So, you know, know, when when Neve Kavanagh won Eurovision in 1993 uh, within your eyes, which is my favourite Irish winner. I see the light, the 
the country was singing that song that summer. It was just a huge, huge hit. And I just, I just don't see how, you know, wild youth are ever going to be on that level. I would say that the factor of how the song is written is, is part of it as well. It's perhaps a more, you know, generic song than the ones of the past were. But then you could probably argue that they were, you know, very much uh, of their time as well. as well. Yeah, sure. So, rather than breaking it. Yeah, but like, no matter how much of a fan you are, you have to admit that we've been doing desperately over the last few years. We used to own Eurovision. We used to love it. We used to own it. We don't anymore. What? So we're going to try to tease out what's the problem. So is it our system of choosing who to send that's the problem? I mean, we actually did send a turkey one year. So, you know, is it is it our fault? I think it's probably partially our fault. I mean, we don't really sort of have the, the critical mass um, of expertise in, in this particular arena, which is, is the, the, the sort of dance pop arena has been the default uh, Eurovision genre over the last couple of decades. That said, you know, there are other genres that creep in. Italy only won two years ago with a very heavy rock song. Um, so it is possible to win Eurovision by, you know, not being the sort of high energy <laughs> dance club hit. But I, I think we're maybe our, our relative strengths were those sort of slightly earnest power ballads, the really strong, you know, rousing song. You know, there were some gentle winners as well, rock and roll kids, and you could say all kinds of everything was in that mold too. But we don't really have I mean this is really broad brush strokes, but we don't really have that tendency to embrace the sort of the ironic, you know, the prestige, the really off the wall. Are we taking it too seriously then? Is that what you're saying? I'm not sure if we're taking it too seriously. I mean, I mean, there's an argument that we should be taking it more seriously. Um, They have tried to bring in expertise from other areas as well. You know, there's a Swedish songwriter with a co-credit on the Wild Youth song um, who had also written in the past for people like Boyzone, Westlife, Britney Spears. Oh, okay. So they have tried to shake things up from time to time. There's, there's maybe, I suppose, there's just, uh, you know, we're, we're a small country and we're coming up against that as well. Um, You're talking so, there about the voting system, isn't that it? Because where the, the 1990s, you know, they were our golden years. We went three in a row and uh, most successful country ever in the contest. But then the voting changed, wasn't that it, in the, in the late 1990s? Yeah, well, it's funny, actually, because our last victory was in 1996, um, Emer Quinn's The Voice, and that was the last year that it was entirely a jury uh, decision. I am the voice that always is calling you. I am the voice. I they started experimenting with some public voting in 1997. And I think in 1996, there was a feeling that, um, th- in fact, the, the UK entry, uh, Gina G's Ooh Ah, just a little bit, kind of ushered in that kind of high energy dance pop um, genre as the Eurovision genre. But at that time, it really, really stood out. Mm. Now, it was a huge charge hit all across Europe. Um, but, it, it, you know, it only came eighth on the, on the night. Really? So there was wow. a feeling that maybe the, the, the contest... The no? Well, a little bit, yeah. Mm. And, and maybe that the, the, the contest needed to reinvent itself. And it did. It's been hugely successful at that. More countries also, you know, want to enter Eurovision. So that, that you know, prompted the need to have this semi-final process. 
And although our record isn't great, you know, we've only uh, got through that semi-final uh, process six times. There's been 10 times when we failed to get so through that process. So that's not great. No, it isn't good. The odds are that you would have a better record than that. And only twice in the last decade have we got through the semi-final process. So I think we could do better. But on the other hand, I don't think we should be really beating ourselves up about it. Yeah, well, is it a language issue? Because I I didn't know this uh, because I'm not a Eurovision geek. uh, But up until 1999, countries had to submit songs in their native language. Now, we were allowed to submit songs in English. um, And songs sung in English are statistically more likely to win. So, like, are we on the back foot now because everybody's singing in English? We definitely had an advantage then because, you know, everybody across Europe understands English. So we we did have that, you know, alongside the UK. We were both very successful countries at Eurovision. Interestingly, there was a period in the 1970s when that rule didn't apply. And that included the phase when Sweden got their first victory in 1974 with ABBA and Waterloo. Oh. So, you know, that was uh, the start of their Eurovision yeah. success story. And uh, it certainly has helped a country like Sweden that that rule went out again in 1999, as you said. Uh, and they are now, you know, hot in our heels. They've got six victories. And if they get one more, they'll tie with us. Oh, so, <laughs> they won't want that. Uh, so it is, it is a factor. I mean, often there's more than, you know, one version of the song. There's the local language version and the English version. And sometimes the songs are, are, are multilingual in themselves. There's very clever different things that um, countries can do to mix it up. It's not that we're sort of at a disadvantage now, but it's more that we've lost the advantage that we used to have. Okay, so, well then, is the problem, and I I think every year we we blame geopolitics and, you know, friendly neighbour voting on our dire placing. Um, So, you know, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia, they all give top marks to each other and so on, that we expect that. So, but who's voting for us? Obviously, not many people. Are are we that friendless in Europe? Um, I don't know if we're friendless, but we could probably do with some more <laughs> friends. It doesn't help that, you know, for example, um, whenever we're in the semi-final, um, we don't always have the vote of the UK, you know, because they only vote in one of the semi-finals. And this year, for example, they're not voting in our semi-final. Because they've been giving us top scores, haven't they? Well, you would just expect that, you know, because we have diaspora in Britain, that people based in Britain would possibly vote for Ireland if they could. But as I said, that's not possible this year in our semi-final. So we're one of 15 acts next Tuesday, 10 go through. And, you know, yeah, I mean, over the years there has been block voting, there have been issues like that. So it's it's very hard to completely rule that out as a factor. I don't think it's the only one, though. And I think we're at risk of becoming a little bit like the UK has in, in recent years in having that kind of self-pitying mm. approach, that whole they're all, you know, us against them, they all hate us yeah. vibe. I don't think that's, you know, there's no reason that that's the case. We, we are on the periphery. Uh, geographically in Europe. So you could say, argue that that is a disadvantage. Ireland, 12 points. <laughs> Ireland, 12 points. Ireland, 12 points.
et l'Irlande, 12 points. L'Irlande, 12 points. Laurie, Ukraine won last year and, you know, of course, you don't have to be a raging cynic to say, of course, Ukraine won last year. But I think what that did, it gave ammunition to anyone who's ever blamed, you know, politics on our years of failure, but couldn't quite come up with an example. So that is an example. Now, of course, it can't be staged in Kiev this year. And it's usually the winner. The winner takes it all. The winner has to stage it the following year. It's been hosted in Liverpool. Why? Is well, it a Boris effect? Um, no, it's it's it is partly the UK wanting to show solidarity to Ukraine. Now, initially, the Ukrainian public service broadcaster UAPBC, you know, they really wanted to do it. I think that was more hope than than expectation. You know, at, at the time last May, they were probably hopeful that the uh, war uh, would be over. Um, but I think uh, there was a realism within the European Broadcasting Union that that wasn't going to be the case. So a number of countries offered to host it. Oh, okay. Did we? Um, no. <laughs> a number of the bigger countries, okay. I would say, um, the key funders offered to, to, to host. And I think because actually the UK had come second last year with Sam Ryder's and that was Space unexpected. Man. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was great. Yeah, great to see them turning around their, you know, poor, poor us uh, record. Gives us hope. And I think there were years where, it, they, you know, they were hard done by. The previous uh, Eurovision grand final that I was at was in Lisbon. And you really saw such a huge reception, um, amazing support for the UK artists that year from the travelling British fans that really were there in really strong, high numbers. And it was quite actually a scary moment when there was a stage invasion during the, the UK act. Um, it's kind of very like, oh my God, anything could happen. Um, so the, the British have always been really supportive of, of Eurovision and, and the European Broadcasting Union. It kind of came about in the first place, the EBU, that is, because of the BBC. And they had a good record up to a point in Eurovision and then and then they they suffered the anxiety that I think we're suffering now where they just they, they couldn't you know they didn't have the semi-final issue but they were often getting last position and even the dreaded null point and um, so I think they were sort of champing at the bit to host this now of course this has to be a lot of um, sensitivity involved because officially they're hosting it on behalf of Ukraine and there's Ukrainian involvement throughout the semi-finals and the final um, with Ukrainian singers and uh, acts performing and uh, one of the four co-hosts is a Ukrainian singer called Yulia Sanina. So they've been very careful to to say we're, you know, we didn't win, we know we didn't win mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're hosting it on behalf and they, they have done this in the past. They've stepped in on other occasions, I think four occasions in the past, to, you know, because sometimes the, the host country can't afford it or there's some other reason why they just don't want to do it. So they've always um, kind of been keen to do it. There's a lot of expertise in the BBC around events like this. I think myself, they have some of the best uh, lighting people in the world. So then it just came down to which city mm. um, that they were going to host. Well, I think there's a number of reasons here as well. And one of them is, you know, just a sort of practical reason. It has a suitably sized arena 
and enough hotel accommodation to um, cater for this, you know, it's a week-long event, really actually two weeks if you include the rehearsal period. But yeah, the show's open to the public, the the sort of the live production rehearsals oh. as well. So there's a lot of different shows going on next mm. week, not just the semi-finals and the grand final that we see on television. Um, so there, there is a kind of sort of maybe a perhaps coincidental uh, link between Liverpool and Ukraine in that Liverpool is twinned with the Ukrainian city of Odessa and has been since 1957. But I mean, I think what really kind of, you know, elevated Liverpool amongst some of the other contenders was its own musical history course, course the Beatles, yeah. mm. but also in the 1980s, Echo and the Bunnymen, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. In the 90s, Cast, The Lightning Seeds, Spice Girl, Melanie C and the girl band Tommy Kitten are from Liverpool. One of my favourite bands, uh, Ladytron, is from Liverpool. So there's a really rich musical heritage there and um, I'm really looking forward to it. So... Okay, so let's get to tomorrow night, the semi-final. The semi-final that we're going to be in and that we really hope to get out of, though statistics aren't going our way. Now, for a contest that, you know, it's all camp and glitter, and but there are some serious analysts who, who sort of get behind it. I was, I was reading these academics from Maynooth, Adrian Kavanagh and Keelan Darcy. They're members of the Electrical Geography Group and they're normally, you know, knee deep in electoral boundaries and proportional representation and all that. But they've analysed Eurovision voting patterns and they've discovered that a significant factor which can shape relative success levels is a song's position in the running order. So they say that if you're number two position in the final, it's disastrous. It's the worst. Nothing good's going to come out about that. While later positions in the running order tend to be more favourable. Where are we in the semi-finals tomorrow? We are sixth. Mm, out of? Out of 15. 15. Oh, that's not good. Yes, it's not it's number not two, great. but it's not great. I think the bigger problem is that many of the favourites to win the title itself, including uh, Sweden and Norway, are in our semi-final. Our semi. oh, okay. uh, and Finland. And we are just kind of, there's a kind of a cluster of them. Um, so I think it's going to be a tight squeeze. Like it's possible that we might sneak in, um, but certainly the bookmakers suggest that we won't. So <laughs> I would say, you know, temper your expectations, you know, <laughs> if, if, if that's something that you really want, want to see, Bernice. But look, Wild Youth are going to know that as well. They, they've just got to go out there and enjoy the process, really, at, the, at this point. OK, stick your neck out then. Who's going to win? The grand final. The grand final. Well, the bookmakers say that Sweden is going to win and Sweden has sent Loreen, who previously won the contest uh, in 2012 with her sort of club banger Euphoria, which has become one of the most famous songs out of Eurovision and certainly one of the best known uh, this century. Now, she has a song this year called Tattoo, and I have to say, I find it a little bit underwhelming. Okay. I prefer Finland, which is second favourite, and it's kind of on the eccentric side. It runs through lots of different genres, a bit of rap, a bit of uh, metal, a bit of dance music. It's called Cha Cha Cha. Whatever you imagine from the words cha-cha-cha, that's not okay. that's not what it is. I don't know if I'd go even as far as to say that I like that one either. Right. Um, well, I am generally often out of step with the Eurovision voting public. I'll just say that up, up front. But I do like Norway. It's kind of, you know, Norway's answer to 
to Florence and the machine, if, if, you know, that machine was sort of in the sort of Viking ages, you know, by way of sort of Italy club scene. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really catchy, actually. Now, France is also in the mix and it's kind of sent a kind of a classy entry. In French um, or English? It's French. Oh. And Austria... It has an interesting thing, which is about being haunted by Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. <laughs> and I, although the bookmakers give this no no chance whatsoever, I love Poland, which is a very summery song. That probably won't even qualify for the final. So what I'm saying to you is um, Norway, but it, look, it'll probably be Sweden because... The odds are often right for these this, these things. So. so you could be off to Sweden next year? Well, I don't know if I'm going to make it a hat-trick, uh, Bernice, but certainly, yeah, they could have it in Stockholm, Malmö, Gothenburg. The Sweden has uh, has a rich uh, Eurovision history of its own. That would be its uh, record-tying seventh victory if Lorene does manage to, to pull it off. So <laughs> good luck to them. Lots at stake for us. OK, Laurel, thanks so much for coming in and enjoy Liverpool. Thank you. That's it for today. For more Irish Times journalism, including Laura Slattery's media columns, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and John Casey. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday. Tonight.